Amen. Amen. Well, good morning or good afternoon, Epiphany Church. It is good to be here, good to be gathered with you, uh, professing the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, as, the, as the worship team was singing in the first service, I was thinking about Psalms 100 where uh, David says, worship the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with songs. And, you know, there's a few ways that we, uh, we worship Jesus. Number one, we do it through song, especially corporately. We do it through song. We want all of our songs to point to the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so we try not to do a bunch of songs with a bunch of personal pronouns, I and me and my territory. We want to focus on the work that Jesus Christ has done. Uh, and the other way we do that, do that is through communion. communion. We do that every single Sunday, every single service uh, on Sunday. Uh, because we, the Bible says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I, I know how fickle we are. We forget quickly. So we need to be reminded what Jesus Christ has done. And then the third way we do that is through the preaching of the word of God, uh, through the scriptures. And uh, we love to talk about Jesus in the scriptures and through our sermon time. In fact, why don't you guys indulge me, grab your Bibles, go ahead and get your devices or whatever you have, and meet me in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Uh, let, me, uh, let me quickly give you guys a quick update on Ty. Some of you, this is news to you. Some of you, this is not news to you. Uh, I laid before the church on Wednesday at our dream night uh, a prayer request that, uh, that I had um, over, the, over the weekend last week. Um, Ty was experiencing some, some pretty bad, severe back pain uh, that went down into her leg. And we were pretty sure that it was uh, something with her sciatic nerve. And um, we went hiking on Saturday with, a, with the couples. And I think that just completely took it over the edge. I don't think that's what did it, but it took it over the edge. It exposed the problem. And uh, when we got back, she came to church on Sunday. Uh, she wasn't feeling that well, but she was here. And then on Monday, uh, things just progressively got worse uh, to the point where I had to take her to the ER on Tuesday night in the middle of the night. We get to the emergency room, and they, they run a CAT scan, and they do an MRI, and the neurologist quickly, quickly realized uh, that she had erupted a disc. And uh, the way it erupted, and even they think it's been erupted for a while, uh, the way it erupted, the fluid uh, became, it became hard like a callus, and it set on her nerve, which caused severe pain uh, down her leg and into her foot. And... Um, the, the neurologist, I mean, when they came in and gave us the news, they were like, yeah, we need to do surgery in a few hours. And so uh, we were prepping for surgery, but they didn't have all the utensils they needed, so they pushed it from Wednesday to uh, Friday morning. And so uh, Ty had surgery on Friday morning. Uh, it was a three-and-a-half-hour surgery, uh, and I am so happy to announce that she is doing well. Surgery was a success. Amen. And she is home, she is resting, she is high as a kite. She is, she's doped up today. Like, I ain't, even, I ain't even playing with it. I left the house today, I didn't know if she knew it was me or if she didn't know it was me. Um, but anyway, she's, she's doing well. My mother-in-law is at the house caring for her, taking care of her. Uh, and so she's doing well. She did want me to make sure I sent my love. And let me also use this moment to publicly express my gratitude for those of you who, who did know that I, I told on Wednesday... Just the, the amount of love. We were overwhelmed with love from you guys. I mean, I've been, last night was the first night I slept in my bed since Monday night. Because we've been at the hospital every single day from Tuesday on. And uh, I've just, she's been telling me to go home. 
at one moment, I just felt delirious. I just, you know, you can't sleep in a hospital. So I just felt like I just was losing my mind. I just was so tired. But uh, God gives us strength. And I was less worried about me and more worried about her. But finally, she, she was uh, discharged yesterday. She's home. I slept real good last night. You know, you know there's, there's sleep, and then there's that open-your-mouth sleep. <laughs> I was there. I was in the, in the, in the deep sleep. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're overwhelmed by your love. There were some people that made the, the kids, uh, because I was at the hospital and Ty was in the hospital, uh, made the kids food and brought food over to the house for the kids to eat. And uh, some people grocery shopped and brought groceries over yesterday. And my mother-in-law stayed at the house, and so she's a, a cleaning freak. And so she cleaned the entire house. I said, praise God for you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But um, yeah, I, I'm just grateful for for you guys. And Ty wanted me to express that to you guys. Uh, thank you so much for, for your love. We, we felt it. We felt your prayers. And so uh, grateful for you. All right, let's get into the word. We, we're in our Spread Love sermon series, which is a sermon series that is focused on generosity and stewardship. And although the last two weeks I have been in your business, your financial business a bit uh, through the scriptures, today I'm actually not even going to preach on finances. Uh, in the Spread Love campaign or in the Spread Love sermon series, I actually want to focus today on how the gospel spread and how the gospel begins. It starts in one place and how it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies all, to, all the way to the point that you are in here today. Now, let me be honest. I'm a bit ambitious today. It didn't go well for me in the first service. I was longer than I expected. But my hope is to preach two chapters today, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. If you have any familiar, familiarity with uh, my preaching, I can preach for an hour on one verse. So I don't know if y'all packed dinner tonight, but we'll be here for a while. We'll be in Acts chapter 8 and we'll be in Acts chapter 9. Uh, because of the lengthiness of this, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to read it and then preach. I'm going to pray and then, uh, then we'll dive in. I can warn you now that it's going to be a ton of reading so we'll let the scriptures preach today, and I'll just talk a little bit as commentary and then get back in the Word, because Acts just, it preaches itself. All right, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord. Father, we are grateful, as always, for your faithfulness to us, and we pray, oh God, that this moment that you would um, not leave us, that you would be here, that you would be present. As the, as the worship team was singing, we are in desperate need of your presence. We need your presence in order to hear your Word. I need your presence in order to communicate your word. And so, Father, would you use me for your glory? Pray for physical strength. I pray for gospel clarity. And I pray for boldness in the scriptures today. It is in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. I'm going to talk for our time and preach for, for our short amount of time together on the topic entitled the spreading of the gospel. Okay, the spreading of the gospel. I don't know if you guys are into movies like World War Z or uh, I Am Legend or the movie Outbreak, where there's, 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 this, there's this sense that there's a virus or disease that, that happens in one central, what they would call ground zero, in one central location, and then it begins to spread. Now, in every one of those movies, there's that one scene where all of the scientists and all of the, all of the generals and all of the smart people, the politicians, they all get into this room. And there's normally one guy that's the smartest in the room, and he has the remote. And they're all looking at this screen, and on this screen, there's a map. And he, he pinpoints where the virus has started. He said, this is where it started. And then he begins to click. And one click, you see two hours later how the, that virus spreads or that disease spreads. And then he clicks again eight hours. And he clicks again 16 hours. 
Then he clicks one week, and you begin to see the red on the map begin to take over the whole map. And finally, he clicks one month, and the entire map is red, signifying that the disease or the outbreak has spread to everyone. The virus has hit everybody. All the humankind is now uh, infected with whatever it is. Now, the book of Acts always has been that for me. The book of Acts really acts as the smart guy in the room with the remote. And he pinpoints, he pinpoints for us the place where the gospel started. And he always is clicking. Now, Luke wrote Acts, and so he's in the room, he's clicking. And he's clicking, and what you see is by the time you get to Acts 28, which is the last chapter, you're going to see how the gospel spread. But let me just promise you, in the book of Acts, it's more of a comma, less of a period. Because the, the book of Acts has it, like, it's still continuing. Let me prove it to you. You're in this room because the book of Acts has continued. The work is still working on. The, the Holy Spirit that worked in the book of Acts is working in our church today. Let, let me do it this way. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you should underline that. You should go back to chapter 1 and underline that, that, uh, that verse. You should circle it. You should draw a line out to the margin and just write facts because Acts chapter 1, verse 8 really is, it shows us what's going to happen for the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus is with his boys, and, and he says to them, he says, listen, stay here in Jerusalem. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Watch the spreading. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, ground zero, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what you're going to see in the book of Acts is how the gospel hits Jerusalem. You're going to see how the gospel hits Judea. You're going to see how the gospel hits uh, Samaria. But you sitting in, the, in this room is the continuation of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to see how the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. I think sometimes we read the book of Acts, and we typically disconnect ourselves. We say, that's a nice story. Now, those are great stories, but you don't really look at how Acts chapter 1, verse 8 can be fulfilled by the people on Fulton Street and by the people that live in your neighborhood and by the people that you work with. And so this thing is still spreading. Jesus says to his followers, I need you outside of Jerusalem and spreading the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, here's the funny thing. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts, they're still in Jerusalem. Like Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, get outside of Jerusalem, go into Judea and Samaria. They do not do that. They hang out in Jerusalem for seven full chapters. Now, you, you would think Jesus is like, listen, once the Holy Spirit comes, you're, you're able to get outside of this Jerusalem and, and go and impact the world. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2. You would think by the end of Acts chapter 2, they're in Jerusalem, they're in Judea and Samaria, but they're not. They stay in Jerusalem. And so what God does is he looks down and be like, okay, you guys are disobedient. Y'all want to all huddle up here and make this a Jerusalem thing. And my gospel needs to get out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to spread this thing, this gospel, in a way that's very unconventional. How he spreads the gospel is by persecution. Look with me at Acts chapter 8. I told you we're going to read, talk, read, talk. Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse number 1 says this. And Saul approved of his execution, talking about the execution of Stephen in the previous chapter. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all, here it is, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, what you see here is 
Jesus, or God looks at them and says, y'all are still here in Jerusalem. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow persecution against my church because persecution is the thing that's going to get you outside of Jerusalem into where I told you to go. Now, here's why that's important. Because you think that persecution is a punishment. God is like, persecution is not a punishment. Persecution is what I'm using to align you with my will. And so if you're in here and you're going through and you're like, whoa, it's me, it might be God trying to align you with the will of God for your life. And and here's the reality. 99.9% of this room ain't never experienced persecution anyway. Like you look at persecution, look at chapter 7, where they take Stephen, take him outside, and they stone him to death while Saul, a.k.a. Paul, holds his cloak. He's like, that's persecution. Your lights getting cut off ain't persecution. It might be bad money management, but it's not persecution. That relationship not working out may just be communication problems. It might not be persecution. What you see in the text is God says, I'm going to allow persecution to happen because when I allow it to happen, it's going to spread the gospel. If you're going through, never ask the question, God, why me? You need to ask the question, God, what are you trying to show me in this persecution? Because that's the instrument I use to align you with my will. Now, you would think that persecution would have stamped out Christianity. You would think that this persecution, that they are, they are literally stoning people, going inside of their house, if they profess the name of Jesus Christ, taking them outside of their house and taking them to prison. And Saul is approving all of it. You would think that that would stop Christianity. But one of the things I love about Christianity is nothing can stop it. Even in the midst of the most intense persecution, it actually acts reverse. In the midst of persecution, you would think it would stomp it out, but what it does is it helps it to flourish, which is so dope because Paul, like this blew my mind when I read it this morning. Paul, which writes 75% of the New Testament, you would think that Paul was, he was beastie at, at spreading the gospel after he got saved. But God is so dope in how he uses Paul is even in the midst of him persecuting the church, he was spreading the gospel, even in the unredeemed state. God used him to persecute the church, and that's what used them to to get scattered throughout the regions. Now, what do they do when they scatter throughout the regions? Verse 4, we're going to skip around. Verse 4, chapter 8. Now, those who were scattered, I love this, went about preaching the gospel. So instead of going into Judea because they're scared of what's going on in Jerusalem, instead of going into Samaria and saying, I ain't professing faith no more because we getting killed for professing faith, they actually go and they continue to do what their brothers and sisters are being persecuted for. They go into the different regions and they begin to spread the gospel. Why? Because Christianity flourishes under persecution. In the 1900s, there's There's a story of how, this is true, there's a story of how the Soviet Union tried to stomp out all of Christianity. They said, we're going to single-handedly do it, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to create an organization, a group called the League of the Militant Godless. Google them. The League of the Militant Godless, their one purpose was to stomp out Christianity. So how they did that is, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ in the Soviet Union, they would kill you for it. And so you would think that that would have stopped it during that times, but... When the persecution went on and the attempt to stomp out Christianity failed, but it it continued to grow, here's what the leader of the League of the Militant Godless is quoted as saying, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. 
You got to understand the faith that we have, the, the Jesus Christ that we serve, the head, the lordship, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't let his body get stumped out by persecution. He actually does the reverse. He says, this is what's going to flourish the church. This is what's going to help us to spread this gospel. So the Bible says that they go into Judea because of persecution. They get into Samaria. Now, when they get into Samaria, I need you to see the revival that is happening in Samaria and don't disconnect it from what can happen here in Brooklyn. Look back at the scriptures with me. Verse four. Now, those who went, those who were scattered, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Note this, verse 8. So there was much joy in the city. So because Christians move out of Jerusalem and get into Samaria and start spreading the daggone gospel, there became joy in the city. That's what I'm hoping for with this Spread Love campaign. That's what I'm hoping for with all of our local churches. Any local church that's sitting here in the neighborhood that we live in, that we dwell in, that we do ministry in, I'm hoping that because of the church, the city will have joy. What would it look like for Bed-Stuy, all of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the abandonment? What would it look like for the church to be so on point that the city receives joy? And it, the church can do that. The church should do that. We're not here to sit here in this room and gather up for three services and go out and do nothing. You're here to gather, get out, and impact the city. Like you, are you hearing me? That is the goal. That is, that is the hope. That is my prayer. That is what I've been pleading for, that we would not be people that sit in here, have this message called the gospel, and do nothing with it. We'd be people that would gather here to get out. I want to I measure success not by how many people fill the seats in this room. I want to measure success by how many people get out of those seats and go out there and fulfill Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Judea, Samaria, Ju uh, uh, Jerusalem. And to the ends of the earth. And so ministry is powerful in Samaria right now in the book of Acts. But it's not just powerful because demons are coming out. It is not just powerful because the lame are walking. It's powerful because the greatest miracle is happening, which is not a physical miracle, but a spiritual one. People are getting saved. Let, let me prove it to you. Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 9 with me. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. The Bible says that he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of, uh, of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him. Here's why. Because for a long time, he amazed them with his magic. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, a.k.a. the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Do you see what is happening in Samaria? In Samaria, a cultish group is forming, and they're, they're believing in sorcery. They're believing in magic. And because they're believing in all this stuff, they're amazed by a guy named Simon. They hear the gospel preached by Philip denounce sorcery and magic and give their life to the Lord to the, to the point where they get baptized.
Like, imagine that in this city. 2.6 million people. All of the cults running up from Fulton and, and Nostrand all the way up to Utica. Like, imagine the guys out there with their, their Power Ranger garb on, the Hebrew Israelites, which is a cultish group, which does not understand the scriptures. Imagine them sitting out there, and they have nobody to talk to because everybody's like, nah, I profess faith in Christ. And here's what's dope about Christ. He doesn't just save the cult. He saves the cult leader. Look, look at the text. I'm not making this up. Verse 13, even Simon believed. And after he had been baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs of great miracles that was performed, he was amazed. Like, imagine this. Not just the people that he was amazing with magic get saved, but even he gives his life to the Lord. Now, we're going to have some issues with him. Read the rest of Acts chapter 8. But even in the issues, he gets rebuked by the apostles and he repents. He's in the family. He's baptized. He's following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ministry is going so well in Samaria that Peter and John, which are still in Jerusalem, get word. They're like, man, revival is taking place in this city called Samaria, and people are giving their life to the Lord. It's going crazy. Y'all need to go down to Samaria to see what they're doing. So Peter and John pack up their stuff. They go to Samaria, which is about 30 miles outside of Jerusalem. They get to Samaria, and they see what's going on. Read verse 14 uh, on your time when, when you get home. That's when the apostles from leave Jerusalem. They get to Samaria. They affirm what's going on. They rebuke Simon, and they're about to pack up and leave and go back to Jerusalem. But watch how the gospel spreads. On their way back to Jerusalem, the Bible says that they go to, to the villages on the outskirts of Samaria and preach the good news. Okay, let me read it. Verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word, of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel, here it is, to many villages of the Samaritans. So, so you have to understand what is happening. The gospel didn't just go from Jerusalem to Samaria, but it went from Jerusalem to Samaria to the outskirts of Samaria. Do you see the smart guy in the room clicking right now? Do you see it starting in Jerusalem and he's like, here's Samaria now. Oh, oh, the villages on the outskirts are now getting the good news because Peter and John are so faithful to the gospel that they go to the villages and they begin to share the gospel. He's clicking. But there's more clicking going on. Now, here's what I love about the gospel. The gospel doesn't just go outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but it goes outside of the walls of ethnicity. It's not just for one ethnic group. Okay, verse 26. I'm going to read a lot here. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go uh, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Let me stop there. I said I was going to read a lot, but I can't help myself here. <laughs> like, you know how crazy this is? Ministry is going so well in Samaria. I mean, people are getting saved. Demons are coming out. People, he's like, yo, you'll see later. He's like, yo, what are you doing on the ground? Get up, walk. You're healed in Jesus. Guy pops up and walks. Like, that's the type of power he's walking in based on the Holy Spirit working in his life. And so ministry is going well in Samaria. Now, imagine this. God says in the midst of a revival in Samaria, leave Samaria, go to the desert. And he's going to go to the desert, you're going to see, for one person, which shows us how far God will go to reach you. Because we often think, man, I come to church, God, you know, he's concerned about everybody else, but he don't see me. He don't know my issues. He don't know my struggles. I just read in the text that he'll leave where the ministry is going on in Samaria to get you. Read Luke 15. Luke 15, where he leaves the 99 sheep in the open field to go after one. Where, where, or where this woman has 10 coins. She 
she has, still has nine. She loses one, so she's not broke. But she sweeps the house apart to find the one. God will go after you. He says, listen, leave Samaria. Go down to the, the road that goes down to Gaza. Why? Because I want you to reach one person. Where at? In the desert. Verse 27, and he arose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? He says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up and he sat with him. Now, the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Now, he's reading Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. Here's why I love Philip. So simple. Because Philip knows his Bible. Philip Philip doesn't say, let me share the gospel with you. Let me go to the scriptures I know. He says, what are you reading? Isaiah 53? Oh, let me show you Christ in Isaiah 53. Which is dope because it shows us Christ is everywhere in the scriptures. You can find him in the book of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53. So he's reading. He says, what are you reading? He says, this is what I'm reading. Like a sheep that has led to the slaughter, like a lamb before a shear. He was silent and he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to to Philip, who may I ask that the prophet say this about himself or someone else? So basically, The Ethiopian eunuch is confused. He's reading Isaiah 53, but he's like, Philip, I don't know if Isaiah is talking about Isaiah or if Isaiah is talking about someone else. Because Philip knows his Bible, he explains to him. He says this in verse 35. So Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the scriptures. He told them the good news about Jesus. And they were going on along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and, the ba- and he baptized them. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40 is important. But Philip found himself in Azotus as he passed through preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here's what you just saw between verses 26 and verses 38. You saw that the gospel was able to reach past just the Jews in Jerusalem, but able to reach an Ethiopian. Let me help you. Ethiopian is in Ethiopia is in Africa. Okay, let me go a little deeper. This is a black man that is being reached by the gospel. Why is that important? Because most of this neighborhood is 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 uh, is our minorities. Is a this is a black neighborhood. It's been a hub like. What, what uh, Bed-Stuy is to Brooklyn is what Harlem is to, to the city. It's just been a hub for years. Y'all remember the slave theater that used to be down on, on Fulton Street? Like Malcolm X used to preach here or, or talk here. Martin Luther King used to talk here. So this has been a hub for African-Americans. Why is that important? Because there are some foolish thinkers in Scripture, the cultish group I talked about, that would say to you that Christianity was handed down to you from your slave master. No, 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 that can't be true because, because slavery, the first slaves to hit the shores of America in Virginia was 1619. I just read a text to you that the gospel has hit an Ethiopian in 61 AD. 
So basically what I'm saying is you cannot tell me that this Ethiopian wasn't so impacted by reading Isaiah 53, getting the gospel explained to him, getting baptized. He would have taken that back to Ethiopia. Now, now let me get deeper. This is not just a regular Ethiopian. He's a high ranking official. Bible says that he's in the court of Candace. And that he's, he's looking after her treasure. And so this is a guy who has influence in Ethiopia. Not to mention, he has access to the queen of Ethiopia. So you can't tell me that he wouldn't have went back and said, man, this Jesus thing they talking about in Jerusalem, this thing is real because God saved me. How do I know? And I got baptized. So, so what, I, what I'm saying is the gospel, it's not just spreading. It shows how powerful it is to reach outside of our own ethnicity. And if all your friends is black or all your friends is white, whatever ethnicity you are, if they are or Dominican, whatever, if all of your friends is that, you're missing Acts chapter eight. Because in Acts chapter eight, the gospel doesn't just hit Jews. It hits Samaritans, which hate Jews. And you see the gospel reaching into Ethiopia by an Ethiopian. Like this. I hope y'all are hearing me here. That's why it's important for us to be in here with many different faces. Because we must look like the neighborhood. And if we don't look like the neighborhood, what are we doing? I'm reading where it's hitting everybody. So the Bible says that the gospel is spreading here. Again, the clicker. Check the clicker here. We have Jerusalem has has now been impacted. We have Judea has now been impacted. We have Samaria has been rocked by the gospel. We have possibly Ethiopia now being rocked by the gospel because he would have taking the gospel back. I told you that it was very important for you to uh, uh, pay attention to verse 40. I don't have time to preach it, but the Bible says that Philip ends up in Azotus. Azotus would have had the gospel. And not just Azotus. It doesn't just say he preached the gospel in Azotus. It says, but all the towns between Azotus all the way to Caesarea. And so the gospel is spreading. He's clicking. He's clicking. He's clicking. And we get to see this thing spreading out. Look at chapter number nine. Running out of time. I got to move quicker. Chapter nine. But Saul, by the way, keep keep up like keep your pen there, like put a little asterisk there, because this is the same Saul, a.k.a. Paul, that writes 75 percent of the New Testament. Watch what happens to him. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue. Uh, at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, keep your finger there for a second. Back in the day, in ancient times, they didn't use the term, well, at least until Acts chapter 11 in Antioch, we don't see the term Christian used. They referred to people as followers of the way. Man, I wish that we still referred to people as followers of the way. Why? Because who is the way? John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the light. And so we get, we, you're not just a Christian, you're a follower of the way. Keep that in mind. Keep going here. Verse 3. Now, as he went, yeah, this is Bible study today. I'm not preaching. This is Bible study. Verse, verse number 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light uh, from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard the voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but not seeing anyone. Verse 8, 
So Saul, arose, uh, so Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So, the, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, which is crazy. He finally does reach Damascus. But he goes to Damascus. Initially, he was going to persecute Christians. Now he goes as a Christian. Like, and this is dope because even though he's physically blind, he spiritually can see. His spiritual eyes are now open, which, by the way, I would rather be physically blind than have the, the eyes of my heart enlightened, as Ephesians 1 would say. Having the blindness of, of my spiritual walk revealed. That's what's happening here. Verse 9. And for three days he was without sight, physical sight, and neither ate nor drank. But there was a disciple at Damascus named uh, Ananias. And the Lord said to him, uh, Ananias, and he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I love, the, I love how scared Ananias is here. Verse 13, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So in other words, he's basically saying what all of us do. Lord, are you sure? Like, is this your guy? Like, you got him on the team? You sure you got the, like, maybe you, you meant to get one of his, you know, his disciples. You didn't mean to get him. But God is so gracious that God doesn't say, shut up and do what I said. God actually answers him with grace. Look at what he says, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings, uh, of, uh, and, the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered into the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taken food and was strengthened. By the way, for all, all my, my uh, Pentecostal folk, which that I would include myself in that. I used to be Pentecostal. So note, notice here, he's filled with the spirit, that he does, but he doesn't speak in tongues. I just want to put that right there and keep going. <laughs> Verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Watch what he does. He immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of whose of those who called upon, the, on, upon this name? And, his, and has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, watch the clicker here. The gospel has now reached into Damascus, but it reaches into Damascus by the most unlikely person. Like, you do know Paul shouldn't have been saved. If we base this thing on how sinful you are, Paul should not be saved. And here's why you should be, this is why you don't want to miss your shouting moment here. Because many of you in this room are looking at, at, at this and saying, it's no way God can save me. But I'm saying to you, he saved Paul. Like, he can save you. And Paul would, 
if you, went, if you had a conversation with Paul right now and said, man, here's my sin, Paul would laugh at you. He would laugh at you because Paul is, I mean, this is a man who hated the church, but automatically doesn't just become a part of the church, but becomes one of the pillars of the church. And that's what I'm hoping to see as we're talking about spread love campaign. That's my hope is that we would see the most notorious sinner outside be saved, become an elder, become a pillar in God's church. Don't tell me God can't do it. You can't tell me God can't do it because he just saved Paul. Look at the clicker here. You see it happening in Jerusalem. It spreads to Samaria, spreads to Judea, spreads to Africa, spreads to Azotus and all of the towns leading up to Caesarea. And now it finally hits Damascus. Verse 31, and the church, so that, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. It multiplied. Let's keep going. Now, as Peter went here and there among all of them, he came also to the saints who lived in, uh, in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, this is how powerful the Holy Spirit's operating there. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up, make up your bed. And he immediately rose. How, like, I wish ministry was this easy. I would have did that to Ty this morning. I'd have been like, what you doing? Rise up. Put your clothes on. We're going to church. But that's exactly what Peter does. Verse 35, and all the residents at Lydda and Sharon saw him, watch this, and they turned to the Lord. So do you see the gospel still spreading? It's now hitting into, a, uh, into a, a city or a village called Lydda. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which, trans, which translated means Dorcas. First of all, if I'm, if I'm Tabitha, don't translate my name to Dorcas. <laughs> like, you're just not going to call me Dorcas to get away with it. Like, you have to call me Tabby, something else other than Dorcas. The Bible says that Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Uh, since Lydda was near Joppa, okay, so now we're outside of Lydda. Now we're in another city called Joppa. The, disciple, uh, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to urge him. Uh, Please come, uh, come to us without delay. So Peter arose and went with them. And when he had arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all of the widows stood uh, beside her, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was still with them. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside, probably because they called her Dorcas. Because <laughs> he's not going to call her that. Watch. And knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes. And when he saw Peter, when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Verse 42. And this became known throughout all of Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Joppa is now being saved. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I've been to Joppa. Joppa is a seaport. So re remember back in the book of Jonah. When Jonah's told to go to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa, gets on the ship to go the, wrong, the other way to go towards Tarshish. So Joppa, the gospel spreading there is important 
Because it's not just walking and roads. Now you got ships that can carry the gospel to different parts. So consider the clicker now. The gospel is spreading. It started at a pinpoint at, at ground zero at Jerusalem. And what do you see? It's spreading. It's in Africa. It's in, it's on, it's in Damascus. It's in Judea. It's going crazy in Samaria. It's in Joppa. The gospel is spreading. Now, I want you to understand that I've asked you to circle or underline Acts chapter 1 verse 8 because now you're seeing how Acts 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled. The problem is we read Acts and disconnect. It's still being fulfilled to you. You know how far you are from Jerusalem right now? Like it's a long flight. You can't just walk there. What you see is Acts 1. It's, it's going to the ends of the earth. And so what I'm asking you to consider as we're talking about this spread love, the reason I don't have to talk to you about money is because when you understand how the gospel spreads, you'll give to that. Like that is the message that is being proclaimed throughout all of these cities. There's one message. This isn't like, you know, he's not preaching. They're not preaching an alternative gospel. It is the same gospel that we proclaim week in and week out. What is that gospel? That God himself gets on a cross to die for you. That Jesus Christ comes down where he's in heaven being worshipped and adored and doesn't need to come down, but decides that he wants to save you. So he steps on down off of his throne and comes down to dwell among sinful people like us. By the way, tell me a king that you know that dies for his servants. It's always the opposite way around. The servants always die for the king. But in the gospel, Christ is like, no, nah, they can't die for me. I'm going to die for them. And there's this, there's this doctrinal term called substitutionary atonement. And so what you see happening on the cross is Jesus becomes the substitute for you, which means you should be on the cross. I should be on the cross. The moment we were born, we were born with a nature of sin. Before you even had the ability to sin, you were born a sinner. But Jesus Christ comes and redeems those that trusted in him. How does he do it? By dying for you. And then you now get to be presented as though you live like Christ. And the reality is, see, we hear this every week, but the reality is if you really think that you'll hear words like spotless, you know you're not. If you really think that you'll hear words like blameless, you know you're not. Here's what you need. You need the same gospel that rocked Judea, the same gospel that rocked Jerusalem and Samaria. And hear me, it's the same gospel that can rock Bed-Stuy. Okay, let me show you the spreading. It's the same gospel that can rock Crown Heights. It is the same gospel that can reach all the way into Canarsie and beyond. Every, there's no place that can't be rocked by the gospel. Why? Because it's supposed to reach to the ends of the earth. So when I'm saying we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city, I am asking you to consider how we can participate in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You and I are sitting in this room because God decided he was the first person to spread love. See, I'm asking you to spread love, but the first person to spread love was God. How does he do it? By sending his son. There's some of you in here that don't know Jesus. Like, I don't even play with this. I'm not naive. There's some of you that walked in and you know you've played church. You come every week. You go to small group. But this spreading of the gospel that we're talking about, it's almost like you have, you know, when they had the disease, there's always in the movies, they always have an antidote you know, that, that stops the disease or get, makes you immune from the disease. And some of you, like you've been, you have an antidote for being immune to the, the, to the virus of the gospel. And you can't catch it because you got so many walls up. 
You can't catch it because your heart is hardened. But here's the reality. What you need is to take that antidote and throw it away and be infected like the rest of us. Because one of the things I know about those outbreak movies is the moment you have the virus, you typically can spread it on pretty quickly. And so my hope and prayer is that you would be an agent of change in this city. There's so many ways you can do that. And one of the ways we're calling our church to do that is by spreading love, by financially giving to the work that Jesus Christ is doing through Acts 1 uh, all the way to Acts 28. There's a continuation that I'm asking you to be a part of. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for that person that doesn't know you. I, I know, you know, sometimes coming to church can be, if we don't know you, can be weird. Just be, we don't know what, what are they doing. You know, they're singing about this person that's not here. We don't physically see that person. Sometimes they get really expressive. But Lord, I, I, I just don't know what that, Lord, I pray that you would save that person today. That they, you would help them to see that the person that we are worshiping and adoring has died for us, has saved our life. We can, there's not another religion I know that the leader dies for the people. But you did that. Such a scandalous gospel. We couldn't make this stuff up. You've done for us, oh God, what we could never do for ourselves. So Father, I pray for everybody in this room, the ones that don't know you. I also pray for the ones that do know you. Help us to realize how intricately woven Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is to our own personal lives. Help us to realize, oh God, that we are the ones that are helping to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. You took care of Jerusalem. You're still taking care of Jerusalem. You took care of Judea and Samaria and all the out, outer villages. And Lord, I'm praying, oh God, that you would help us to be agents of change in this neighborhood. Help us to be faithful to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And convict us, oh God. Some of us never share the gospel, and we know Jesus. We never do. Forgive us, oh God. Help us to be on fire for you the way Philip was on fire for you, the way Peter was on fire for you, the way Paul gets saved and gets on fire for you. Help that to be us. In Christ's name, we give all glory and honor. Let everybody say amen.